0: Hey, what's up everybody? Welcome to Catholics with Bibles, the podcast dedicated to empowering Catholics to read, interpret, and pray with sacred scripture with the eyes of faith and reason. I'm your host, Chase Cross. Let's dive in. Hey, what is up everybody? Welcome back to this week's episode of Catholics with Bibles. Once again, I'm your host, Chase Cross, And we are in the second week of our new mini-series here on Catholics with Bibles, uh, diving into man and woman. He created them, the theology of the body. Um, and so if you haven't watched last week's episode, uh, totally cool. So I I think, I mean, obviously like any Bible study or like any book study or any study, it's, a, it's good to go chronologically. So that way you're not totally kind of out of the loop with what we're talking about. Uh, that being said, uh, totally cool. If you're listening to this in your car right now and you're like, shoot, didn't listen last week. I think you'll basically get the gist of everything that we're gonna be talking about and tracking along with. But obviously if you have, a chance if you're at a stoplight and you're safe, uh, then go back and start with next or last week's uh, episode uh, where we talked about uh, St. John Paul II's hermeneutic of gift. But just as a brief recap, uh, this is the lens that Saint uh, Pope St. John Paul II is reading scripture through. Remember, the theology of the body, man, woman who created them, is essentially a, a, a Bible study, right? It's uh, Wednesday audiences where Pope Saint John Paul II went through certain key biblical passages and he read them through the through the hermeneutic of gift. So the lens of which he read them was that everything is a gift from God, that man finds himself in and through a sincere gift of self from Gaudium et spes. Okay. So with that being said, uh we got our two resources here. Uh, so those that are watching know that I'm holding up a Bible right now. For those that aren't watching, Uh, I'm using a Bible, Um, (laughs) uh, like always. So I'm using the Ignatius uh, uh, RSV. Um, Big fan of the RSV with the Old Testament. Um, I've heard good things about the um, ESV, the uh, St. Augustine, the the Augustine Institute, sorry, uh, put out, just haven't read it yet. Um, So for Old Testament, I use RSV, and RSV is also very good. I just have an RSV, and those that can see, it's all beat up and old, and I've had this for like ever and ever, and a long, super long time. Um, it's a great Bible. All my notes are in it. Um, so if you're watching this and you see me look at my notes, um, just know that basically everyone who's ever studied the Bible just writes in their Bible, more or less. Anyway, um, and then my second book, for those that can see me, is, of course, Man and Women. He Created Them A Theology of the Body. Um, this is, I mean, the bad boy, right? This is where we're getting all of the stuff that we're pulling uh, today. Um, and so just a reminder um, the, the goal, my goal here, with this, with this mini series is not to cover every single nook and cranny of the, of this book, right? Many would be creative. So as I can see, I mean, this is a, I mean, it's a book, right? This book is, I mean, how many pages is this bad boy? Um, you know, when you, when the, uh, when the biography is, or bibliography is like a hundred pages, you know, it's big. So it's like, yeah, it's like 662 pages. Um, it's a thick book. And one disclaimer that I'll give as well is that this is not a book where I think if you if you've never studied the faith seriously, this is not where I would tell somebody to start. Um, this is, a, it's a tough book. It's a, it's a really hard read. Um, the Introduction Alone by uh, Volstein it is, it's academic, right? It's academic. And so if your brain isn't kind of like accustomed to the, the terminology, the, the style of writing, it's gonna be a tough read. Um, and so for those who've been wanting to dive into the theology body, but maybe you just never have, or maybe you tried reading the book and it was just kind of, you couldn't wrap your head around it. My goal is to give you kind of a bird's eye view of his key passages, right? So we'll be walking through some of the key passages that uh, Carol Wojtyla looked at, or, or Pope St. John Paul II looked at, because uh, this is Catholics with Bibles, right? So we're not gonna be getting into uh, some of the more um, philosophical uh, or uh, or even maybe dogmatic uh, theology that, that Carol Boy gets into, we're going to stick to the Bible. Right. But which is essentially what he does though. Right. Uh, that's, that's literally what theology of the body is. It's, it's a biblical study through the hermeneutic of gift. Um, and so once again, not an exhaustive like study on TOB by any means. Um, I really want to dive into it uh, through a bit more of an academic uh, viewpoint than maybe you've heard in the past. Um, I think I talked about last week, one of my biggest pet peeves is when people say, oh, we're going to talk about theology of the body. And then all they talk about is um, like chastity talks. Uh, Don't be wrong, big fan of the chastity talks, but that's not what theology of the body is. Remember, theology is a study of God through what we can see of him in, in our own bodies, right? So for example, natural theology is natural theology is what we, the study of God through what we see in nature, right? Through what we see with our eyes and perceive with our senses, uh, and so, and you have dogmatic theology. So the study of God through church dogma, we have systematic theology. And all that means is the study of God in a, a systematic order or like through you know one, one, two, three, four. that kind of, that gonna be applied to basically any theology. Uh, you have sacramental theology. So the study of God through the sacraments, You, I mean, you have biblical theology. This is a study of God through what he reveals to us in the Bible. So you have all these branches of theology. And so this is essentially kind of just JP2's, branch of theology, the theology of the body. It's the study of God through what is revealed to us in our very bodies and through what scripture is telling us of our bodies, of of who we are as people, of of our own identity. Um, And so we're going to start where JP2 starts. JP2 starts in uh, the gospel of Matthew, uh, Matthew 19 verses three through eight. But he uses this as kind of a a springboard back into Genesis one. And we'll see what what I mean by that in a second. So let's just dive in here with uh, Matthew 19, verse three through eight. We read, and Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who made them from the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one. So they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? He said to them, For your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wife. But from the beginning, it was not so. All right. So, JP2 calls this the appeal to the beginning appeal to the beginning. So just, we're not going to actually spend too much time here in Matthew. Um, We'll get back to that, you know, later on, but what's the context here? Well, you know, throughout the book of Matthew, Pharisees and scribes try to like entrap Jesus, right? In order to persecute him. And so this is just, it's a story of that and particularly about this idea of the ability to divorce your wife. So we know that in the Torah, um, so later on outside of the book of Genesis, that uh, Moses allowed divorce. So this is really, really, uh, we're not going to dive into this too much, but just as a kind of a brief overview. So Moses allowed divorce, but that doesn't, what Jesus is trying to say, it doesn't mean it's a good thing. And and doesn't mean that that's the way it's supposed to be, right? Jesus even said, it's because of your hardness of heart, right? It's because of you and your sinfulness that God, that Moses allowed divorce. And he says, Moses, not God, Right? So that's a a man made stipulation, not a divinely inspired thing, right? God doesn't change his mind. Uh, God can't change. He is God. He is outside of time. And if you're outside of time, that means you don't have time to change, right? And so Christ appeals to the beginning. He appeals to the beginning. So, and it's kind of a a tongue in cheek remark by Jesus because these are scribes and Pharisees. They basically had the Torah memorized, right? And so Jesus says, Have you not read? Uh, in the beginning. And so we're going to go now to the beginning, namely Genesis 1. And so we're, this week, we're going to be diving into Genesis 1. And then next week, and potentially the week after, depending on how fast we move through everything, we'll be looking at Genesis uh, 2 and maybe a little bit 3. And once again, all I'm doing is following uh, JP 2 and his text. And man, when we created them, he starts with Matthew and then goes to the beginning, right? He's going to spend a lot of time in the beginning. There's a lot of material he's going to talk about, and we're going to do our best to to talk about it. Um, One thing though, to keep in mind before we, before we kind of get into the actual words of the text itself is that Carol Wojtyla is assuming that his listeners know what the documentary hypothesis is. And if you're listening or watching this and you're like, Chase, I've never heard that term, no worries. We're going to talk about it. So uh, there's this guy named, uh, Volstein or sorry, Wal- <laughs> not that Volstein, he's the guy that wrote the intro of the book, uh, Walhausen, it's a German guy. And so he presented this source critical method in theory. So we've talked about this in the podcast before, but uh, in case you haven't watched those or listened to those, um, there's something called the historical critical method. So the historical critical method was really birthed out of the enlightenment and it's, uh, basically tools of reading scripture. They're not good or bad in and of themselves, tools are tools. Uh, the problem comes with the a priori of philosophical underpinnings of said historical critical method. And so Ratzinger talks a lot about this. Uh, so we have, to, we have three methods of interpreting scripture. Method A is the method of the church fathers, right? Namely, you read all of the Bible through the lens of Jesus Christ. So everything in the Old Testament points to Christ. Everything in the New Testament obviously points to Christ. Um, And so it's a very, it's faith-based interpretation of scripture. It's good stuff. If you ever read the Church Fathers interpretation of scripture, it's super good. Um, Method B, that's what Ratzinger calls the historical critical method. And so that is not only the tools, but also this philosophical underpinning. What is it? So namely that God isn't real, or if he is, it's more of a deistic view of god namely that he it's a clockwork god where he god kind of spun the wheel and then let the world do what it does and namely that if god is real and if he and that means he's a clockwork god and therefore wouldn't be able to break his own laws and so the historical critical method the actually the philosophy behind it the a priori assumption behind it is that if god is not real or if at least god wouldn't break his own laws therefore miracles can't happen uh therefore uh, they have to read the text through this lens and kind of explain away a lot of the Bible because miracles can't happen. Um, and so they're reading the Bible as a purely literary document, right? They aren't reading, a, histor- a historical critic wouldn't read the Bible through the eyes of faith necessarily. Um, even they might have faith, hopefully they do, but it's it's really, it's it's a, they're viewing it as like, as if a Christian or a Catholic, we would read the Quran or we would read um, the Monkey King, right? Ancient Chinese literature, ancient Middle East literature, even even um, the Epic of Gilgamesh, right? Um, so when you read, when we read these things, we were reading them as purely literary pieces of uh, as literary, literary works, I should say. Okay, so that's the historical critical method. And now there's tools in the historical critical method, um, namely, and the one we're going to talk about today is, is source criticism. So what does that mean? It's it's looking at certain texts of the Bible, and where did they come from? What was their original source, right? And this is where the documentary hypothesis comes in. Uh, before we dive into more of that, I'll talk about Method C. And Method C is, we've talked about this on the podcast before, is what I use. It's what Ratzinger used. I learned it from, not from Ratzinger. It'd be cool if I learned it right from Ratzinger. Um, but no, I, I learned it from studying Ratzinger. And namely, it's using the tools of the historical critical method, um, these different literary devices, and using them but also using them with the eyes of faith right using them with the eyes of faith so method a doesn't really have any of these uh, literary tools um it's just reading scripture through the the eyes of faith method b is kind of throwing faith out the window and just using the tools and reading scripture as purely a literary document Um, method c is kind of combining these two right? We're, we're not using the philosophical underpinnings of Method B, but we are using the tools of Method B in order to better understand sacred scripture. Okay, so this, this documentary hypothesis, right? So namely, uh, Walhausen presented this theory, and it's a source-critical theory, namely that there are different uh, authors of the Old Testament, at least the Torah. And it's these authors are different sources. So we have the Yahweh source, the Elohist source, the priestly source, and the Deuter- Deuteronomist source. What does all that mean? Well, the, the way he presents it, and we don't have time to talk about it here, lectures even on this, namely that uh, the Yahweh source, it's, it's where, and the, you would only get to see this if you're reading in Hebrew, it's the parts of the Torah that uses the, the Lord's name Yahweh, right? Um, the unspeakable name. Uh, for for our Jewish brothers and sisters. Uh, yeah, so when, every time you read the Old Testament and you see the word Yahweh, um, it's uh, that would be the Yahweh source. Because why? Uh, there are other parts of the Torah that use the term uh, Elohim, right? Instead of Yahweh, Elohim being the word for Lord. And so that's the Elohim source. It's a different source. It's a different style of writing, if you will. Then there's also the priestly source. So namely that for Walhaz and his theory is that um Later on, priests went and added parts of the Torah to uh, kind of build up and uh, defend and justify the Levitical priesthood, basically. And then you have the Deuteronomist source, uh, Deuteronomy, right? Uh, namely, the author of Deuteronomy has a certain style, a certain m- motivation behind it. And namely, we have that source as well. And so the reason all this is important is because St. John Paul II talks about how Genesis 1 and 2 come from the Yahwist source, and the priestly source. Um, now JP two and Ratsinger were BFFs, right? So JP two definitely a Method C guy. And, and so the thing about the with the with the source criticism and with uh, the document hypothesis, you have to take it with a grain of salt because it's still a hypothesis. Um, it, there's there's a lot of things that are problematic with it. And we might have another episode on that later on. Uh, but in and of itself, it's not bad. It's just, it's a way that we can kind of break up and organize scripture. And so Saint John Paul II in the first couple of reflections talks about how Genesis one is the Yahwist source, right? Or sorry, Genesis one is the Priestly source, and Genesis two is the Yahwist source. So when you read Genesis one and two, they're obviously different accounts of creation. Genesis one is you know in the beginning, you know let there be light and all that stuff. Uh, Genesis two is a slightly different account of creation. So namely, Wellhausen people that uh, follow the, the Documentary Hypothesis say. Well, these are definitely two different styles and definitely two different accounts of creation. So they have to come from two different sources, right? Um, and so we have the Yahweh source and the priestly source. And the Yahweh source, so that's Genesis 2, uh, is believed to be older than the priestly source, right? Um, it's, it's believed to be older and then the, uh, the priestly source because the priesthood developed later on within the tradition of Israel in the Old Testament um, is, is, you know, younger, if you will. And so, why is all this important? It's it's, it's a way when you're reading man and when we created them, you have to understand that because you'll be so confused. You always like, is this really important? Like, what is this talking about? Am I missing something? No, it's it's just a way that we can that JP2 is using the source criticism to kind of organize his thoughts. So, with that being said, looking briefly into, into Genesis one itself, and namely he's talking about Genesis 127. And that's this verse. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So when Jesus appeals to the beginning, right? Appeals to the, when he's talking to the scribes and Pharisees, appeals to the beginning. Did you not read, right? He's talking about Genesis 1. And so uh, there's a few really interesting things. I mean, there's tons of interesting things we can talk about uh, in Genesis 1. Um, In the beginning, it's a Hebrew word for Bereshit, right? Bereshit. Catholics with Bibles, we usually have a Greek word of the day. We'll have a Hebrew word of the day today. It's Bereshith. It's the very first word of the entire Bible. It's it's the word in the beginning, Bereshith, right? Um, And so we have this, you know, seven days or six days of creation followed by a seventh day of rest. JP2 points out something though. In Genesis 1, and as we, I'll build this in the next week's episode when we talk about Genesis 2. In Genesis 1, Man is defined by his relationship with God, right? So man, right? And so it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them, right? So we don't have, uh, in this account, we don't have Adam falling asleep, God taking a rib from his side, creating Eve. That's Genesis 2. That's the older account. It's not that. that's the, what you would call the Yahwist account. This is the priestly account. Um, it's more covenant and or uh, covenantal ordered, right? We have the, we have the creation in three days where it was uh, formless and void. So God created everything in three days or the, you yeah, kind created the spaces in the first three days and he filled the spaces he created in the next three days. Um, and it's, if we read uh, any of, uh, oh my gosh, what's his name? Uh Shoot, I'll post a book book on um, this idea of covenants here and I'm totally spacing. So sorry, biblical theologian. I was about to name Bergsma, John Bergsma. Anyway, John Bergsma has a fantastic book on this. Uh, I'll I'll put it in the show notes below. Um, And uh, and, and so John Bergsma has a great book on this talking about how this is actually a a covenantal creation account. So namely why it's like a priestly source. It's all about covenant here. Uh, But we're not gonna dive into that too much today. And so going back here, so JP2 points out, in Genesis 1, in this this, uh, priestly account, man is defined by his relationship with God, not by anything else. And so why is this in the theology of the body? Well, the first thing that JP2 needs us to know is that we have dignity, as humans, because we are defined by our relationship with God. There, you, so JP2 says, you can't reduce man into just merely a thing of this world. You can't, man can't be reduced in that way. We have an inherent dignity because our, in, our, in our very definition of Genesis 1, we we are defined by our relationship with God, that namely we are made in his image and likeness. And what does this mean? And, and you know, this isn't necessarily something he's gonna talk about in explicit detail, but when you think about being made in the image and likeness of God, we have to we have to think about this a little bit, right? Because this can't be a physical thing. Why? Well, God as God does not have a body. God as God is not physical. Now, later on, obviously the incarnation, that changes the ball game, but then there's still Jesus qua God and Jesus qua his humanity. He is totally human, totally divine, but he's not a mixture of both. He's totally human, totally divine, but one person. And so, but God as God is pure spirit, pure spirit. So how can we as incarnate beings right? We have a soul, we have a body. In what way are we truly made in the image of God? Well, God is God. He does really two things. He thinks and he loves, right? He has an intellect and a will. Now we're not going to get into too much uh, theology in this respect, but God's intellect and will can't be separated. He is perfect. He is totally one. His intellect is his will, as will is his intellect. And it's really, that's, we're not going to dive into that rabbit hole too much. Um, but anyway, uh, he, we know God knows and God loves, right? There's a divine intellect and a divine will. And so when he created us, yes, we have a body, but what makes us in his image and likeness is that we can think and we can choose. So we can reason and we can choose. We can know the good, and choose to follow it. So we're made in the image and likeness of God. That's what distinguishes us from, from animals, from trees. A lot of times people try to bring humanity down um, and compare us like, oh, we're basically just apes We're evolved apes. Uh, but no, I mean, you know, they say, well, apes can do some basic math and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, sure, they can do some basic math. That's great. I'm glad an ape can do basic math. But they aren't going to be able to abstract complex moral situation and, you know, discern and choose the good, right? That's what I mean, defines you as human. You have the ability to think and to choose. You have an intellect and a will because we're made in the image of likeness of God. So our we have an inherent dignity as humans from this definition of Genesis one. Okay, great. So, Genesis one, I mean, there's, I mean, there's so much more that we said. Also, he guys goes into the fact that it's very good. Um, and obviously when he created man, it's, it's very good. We have dominion over everything on the earth. It's very, very good. And so basically JP two using Genesis one to almost as a defense of human dignity, right? Uh, we have to start here. We start in reference to God. Remember this is theology of the body. We're not talking about, we're not starting off by talking about chastity. We're not starting off by talking about, you know, sex outside of marriage or sex in marriage even. No, no, no. We're going to, JP2, he's going to start with saying, hey, hey, you are made in the image and likeness of God. You have an inherent dignity that is beyond your understanding. You have an intellect and a will, and that's, and you are very, very good. So that's what we're going to talk about. That's what we're going to end today with is that little tidbit here, Genesis 1. um, Like I said, the goal of this mini series is to kind of glance and have a little glimpse into these various passages that JP2 is going to talk about, Um, you know, for better or for worse. Maybe you're like, Chase, I want more. And if you want more, there are great resources out there for Theology of the Body. Christopher West has some really amazing stuff um, out there as well for like a lay level reading of Theology of the Body. Um, Mikael Wollstein, he, if you want like an academic reading, he has books as well on theology of the body. So I encourage you to look at those. Let me know if you have any questions. Thank you so much for joining us on Catholics with Bibles. We will be diving into Genesis 2 next week. Once again, following along with Pope St. John Paul II in his man and woman, he created them a theology of the body. And until next time, y'all, God bless. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, everyone for listening to this week's episode of Catholics with Bibles. If you haven't already, please subscribe leave a review. It's really, really helpful for people to find us. if You leave a review because right now, if you type in Catholics with Bibles into the Google, it's going to be hard to find us because there's a lot of different things on Catholics and Bibles. So leave us a review. It's very, very helpful. And thank you again so much for listening to Catholics with Bibles. Y'all God bless.